Well, I guess we're gonna have to talk about the Cinema Genie again. Uh, Cinema Genie? Oh, 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 Photo Genie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're gonna have yeah. to talk about the Photo Genie again, because it's colonized my mind, it's living there rent-free. <laughs> I mean, I think the only reason I didn't want to acknowledge that it was worth talking about last week is because I was mad for Joan. I'm still mad for Joan. I think it was a little too mad for Joan and what actually happened to her uh, to think about, like, the magic of the movies or whatever. But, man, did we sure just watch a movie that's, like, largely about the gays, right? An object and subject. Gays with a Z, uh, obviously, here. Um, although, you know. Uh, it says about him with a Y, too. Sure, sure, which is you know hey look isn't it fun about words that way but yeah so much about gazing going on in this film the looking at being looked upon and i think like where art is an intermediary for that kind of stuff like i guess we're gonna have to talk about it again and i'm mad that i have to admit that dustin brought up a smart thing that wasn't too clever for its own good well um i didn't actually bring it up it just it was you know it's it's in the literature i i read it somewhere else in an essay so it's not exactly like i'm smart i just you know. that's true well you, you're well read and i guess that passes for smart in most places <laughs> it is the only way i can pass for smart is i've i've read a book or two and i remember parts of some of them but um anyway uh hey welcome again to the good trash honor cast we gather around a table we discuss the films you'll never discuss a film says course unless you tune in in january when we do our anti-trash marathon and we do a very special anti-trash marathon if it happens to be january of 2021 in which we do it in france we do it all frenchy frenchy french french stuff uh with our movie picks and so i'm very very excited to be talking about a portrait of a lady on fire by celine Sciamma. Uh, great times, good movie. Siyama, we just covered this, didn't we? Siyama, Skiyama, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not French. Dustin doesn't respect what, anybody. Till, uh, you know, till I meet Miss Siyama, um, I'll say, I'll probably alternate between all of that. Because, uh, Well, because, yeah, when you, of course, actually meet uh, Miss Siyama, you probably won't say anything at all. You'll be uh, awestruck and, uh, you know, keep your mouth shut. Yeah, mostly, yeah. I'll be, I'll be like Wayne and Garth, just we're not worthy, we're not worthy the whole time, I'm sure. You know, it's funny you mention them because they're going to come up again later in the show, believe it or not. <laughs> Party on, Wayne. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Hey, I'm still Dustin, by the way, dear listener. I'm still Arthur. And he mentioned uh, Wayne's World before we got to the 10-minute mark. It's definitely me, Dalton Stewart. Hi. <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, so we're glad you're here. Uh, if you've tuned in for the good, very first time to the Good Trash Honor cast, we want to warn you this is an analysis show, uh, not a review show. And that does mean we're going to spoil the movie. And I, I'm certain we will talk about the ending. And uh, it, endings, uh, perhaps, might be a better way to say it. And uh, so we will do that, but we're going to avoid that spoiler for a film that's only about a year and a half old at this point. Uh, so, but we'll avoid it for the first part of the show. We'll have a synopsis, which will be like what you expect from a synopsis. We'll have thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will be very spoiler light as much as we can. We'll play a little mental exercise, which usually tends to spoil other films and not this movie, but who knows? But there may be some spoilers at the point in which we expand the syllabus, that little mental exercise. And then when we have the kicking music that indicates it's time to play our game, and we begin doing our analysis there, um, and it's business time. Uh, I said time to play the game. I don't even know why. I was thinking about the old show for some reason. Uh, but when we get down to business, and that business being analysis, there'll be music that indicates that. And uh, that business will um, mean that we will have all spoiler bets off. So there's your warning uh, for you there, dear listener. Uh, I apparently have COVID brain and cannot think. So I apologize to you all. Uh, so without any further ado, Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us, please? 
Almost certainly. Uh, where is it? There it is. The painter Marianne is hired to travel to a remote island to paint the wedding portrait of the reluctant Eloise. But she must do it secretly, as she is believed to be there as a walking partner. Over a brief period, the two women will come to understand each other and connect in a way that neither could have imagined. <laughs> that is the most euphemistic synopsis of all time. Well, and I think we're going to be – look, look, we're talking about <laughs> film about queer women. We're a couple of boys. We're going to be grown-ups, and we're going to be euphemistic, and we're not going to be gross. <laughs> we're going to be respectful. I, I would not be gross. I'm just like, <laughs> say those last two sentences again, please, Arthur. Uh, the over a brief period, that one? <laughs> <laughs> he got you. He got you good. Well... I like uh, I like I like having him on the ropes, Arthur. Let's let's mix things up. Hey, Dustin, what, this was your favorite movie of 2019. Why don't you tell us about Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Well, did you what watch if... it? Yeah, it's so, good, yeah huh? so yeah, right. That that's why it's because it's that good. It, it is incredible to look at. It's amazingly performed. Uh, it is uh, structured narratively in a way that is just mind baffling it, it, the way in which it uses symbol and shot formation mise-en-scene performance all organized around a piece of Vivaldi music which has never moved me emotionally which does now and I don't care for Vivaldi that much um, doing all of those things plus telling a story about people of whom I cannot identify for I am neither female nor gay nor 18th century nor French and yet I completely am sucked into mm. the story of these people completely other than myself and uh, in doing that it is a brilliant piece of storytelling uh it's a political film without being preachy and uh yeah so um yeah that's not it's my, my favorite film of that year and now you know why so that's all i want to say i don't want to spoil the rest of it so hey um the rest of you two rookies uh what do you say arthur uh why do you like or do you like a portrait of a lady on fire i think i know you do because i think i saw your letterboxed uh did you you might I have i don't know i never know when you're on letterbox you drop on like once every four months and then rate some random movies we don't actually do for the show and you're on your way again um this movie uh yeah i liked it uh quite a bit um you you pretty so much summed it up well uh i think you know i, I what i like about it you, you mentioned it's gorgeous but it's got this great well-polished look like a giant big budget studio film it really does feel like a big budget uh studio period piece coming out of hollywood um, and I think looking at that in contrast to something like Call Me By Your Name or The Favorite, both of which have a little more grit to them in, in their visual uh, stylings and their cinematography, and, and to kind of contrast that with this more polished production, uh, it's just gorgeous. You know, every frame of it can be hung on a wall. Uh, it's that it's that pretty. It's that beautiful. Um, and so it looks great. Uh, the 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 performances from Merlin and Hanel, uh, they're just powerhouses you know uh and then so much of it isn't even spoken uh, so much of it is in the look of an eye or, or the movement of a hand um they, they do such good work and, and uh i really appreciate that sort of acting um which gets lost in, in dialogue heavy films uh and an actor that can fully embrace the character uh through only uh, body language without saying a word i think is, is just you know translates right it translates across languages uh, and, and that's you know a very powerful tool 
Uh, costuming and use of color. I'm hitting on some things that are probably going to come back up in my syllabus. Uh, but the costuming, the use of color is beautiful, uh, vibrant when it needs to be vibrant. I, I like the the lack of a score. I, I think that surprisingly works well here. Uh, and when we do get music right, it, it, it enhances the effect, uh, not only of the, the kind of bookend uh, concert piece, but also with the uh, the the scene on the with the the local uh, women of the island. Uh, that that moment is when it first started. I was like, "What is happening? Uh, it's turning into a horror movie." Uh, and then they cut to what's going on, and it's just really really powerful. Uh, so yeah, I, I like it a lot. I, I you know I I think it's great. I can nitpick at some if you wanted me to. I, there are a couple things I can point at, but overall, no. This is I mean nearly flawless and the things that i can nitpick don't matter over in the, the big picture you know this is a it's a five-star movie it's, it's one of the best of the year probably maybe decade i don't know that's up for debate but we could argue it if we wanted to um it's a good movie and that's about all i have to say for you all right well thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon i appreciate you being correct um hey dalton uh what do you think of this movie yeah i mean the first note that i took uh was wow that's how you open a fucking movie um and i pretty much never stopped feeling that way. Uh, but the opening of this film really, uh, much like uh, First Cow from 2020, I think it is a film, it's a film that uses its opening moments to so concretely like establish an idea of, of what the narrative holds, right? Uh, and without spoiling a film we're not talking about today, we'll, we'll stay on subject. <clears throat> the way in which we get that, that push in to Marion's face uh really does kind of like underscore a lot of stuff we're going to be thinking about throughout the movie as far as you know observing being observed what it truly means to be seen um all of these these ideas about the gaze and, and looking and object and subject these are things we're going to deal with throughout the movie and in the opening seconds siyama like lays that out for us so clearly and, and lays out the the pain that can go into making something uh, the pain that can go into remembering something uh, and just establishing, Dustin, you mentioned the the brilliance of this, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's, it's just truly mesmerizing. But again, not even from only a storytelling standpoint, but I think also from a cinematic technique standpoint, that just the push-in is just underscores everything about the opening moment that just throws you right into this film. Um, I, I'm also glad uh, that we're, we're talking about this film uh, following our work on uh, the port uh, the passion of Joan of Arc. And, you know, we really spent a lot of time on Falconetti uh, and how incredible, what a powerhouse she is in this film. And Arthur, you've kind of already alluded to, uh, I think our shared appreciation for reserved performance or performance that does a lot with a little. Uh, and, and I think uh, both of our leads here, uh, Adele Hanel and um, Naomi Merlant, uh, fucking, I mean, right up there with Falconetti. It's just, I, I, I hate to like be hyperbolic. No, that's not true. I love being hyperbolic, but I I'm gonna go ahead and say these both of these performances are all timers. They're that good, dude. It, it's just truly an incredible film to watch. An incredible, uh, almost two hander. But then we do, of course, have uh, uh, Sophie, uh, who's maybe my favorite supporting performance ever. Just always coming in with a good line, uh, really carrying things along and cementing this film as. Uh, low-key a, a dirty dancing homage uh, at least in my mind uh yeah love sophie love everything that's going on with her story in this movie uh even the parts of it that are you know upsetting um and, and of course um eloise's mother uh coming in as our, our fourth you know speaking role 
uh, it, it's interesting the ways in which the absence of other people is felt in this film. And it's something that's, you know, remarked on in the dialogue, the way we feel people's absence. But in this film, when other people intrude upon the world of our, our two lovers, uh, the painter and painted, uh, it does really, it's always in an interesting way. And it's, again, speaks to this really well-crafted uh, screenplay, uh, this really well-crafted film that, you know, both in scenes, moment to moment, scene to scene is always working within this 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 pocket this groove that is very much trying to be about what it's about uh and uh, i think uh, it's what little i've seen uh of Siama talking about it it's interesting like what she is you know been forthcoming about like and what she wants to work on with this film um because i think it's 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 clarifying without being uh didactic, I guess, is, is the word I'm looking for. I think a lot of the times when a filmmaker comes out and starts talking about their movie, um, they can often be kind of prescriptive in what the film is about and what means what. Uh, and what little I've, I've seen her say about the movie, it is. it seems to me that she does a really good job of saying like what ideas she's wanting to work within without you know dictating what the movie is, is trying to do. Uh, and I always love that. I like, uh, I'm always curious how uh, creators engage with uh, talking about their own work. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we can go ahead and start moving on to really uh, getting into talking about this movie because the rest of it is just going to be specific moments that I like. I think you've done it both. You've both done a great job of really talking about technique-wise what makes it so good. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's start talking about this this movie, huh? All right, well let's do that. And the first way in which we do that is with that little mental exercise that we call expanding the syllabus. Dear listener, if you're tuning in for the first time, expanding the syllabus is when we pretend like we're using this movie in a class. Uh, what is the class or what is the module of the class? What are the other films or other readings that we would use to situate this particular work and uh, what points we'll be trying to make with it? So that is the nature of the exercise. I'm going to go ahead and go right back to you first uh, there, Dalton. Uh, what do you say? Uh, how would you expand the syllabus with Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Well, there's a there's a moment that really stuck with me where it's – after Marianne has like completed her first draft of the portrait, right? And Eloise says something to the effect of, is that how you see me? Um, and she's like, what? That's not just me. Like, you know, I'm, this is how portraiture works. Uh, and, uh, uh, Eloise's kind of rebuke of that is, you know, not everything is fleeting there. There is something you're doing that is capturing the essence of somebody. Um, and there's smarter people than me have, have talked about that, but I, I really did th- think about this, idea of you know capturing people uh, and what their deal is and what they're about and I, I kept coming back to the ways in which this film uh, works with authenticity and uh, I did fortunate I was fortunate enough to uh, get to watch this movie with uh, uh, the missus who had not everything I watched for the show we watched together but uh, we did start talking about that that idea of authenticity a lot uh, with this movie so credit where it's due some some help from her and uh, figuring out where I wanted to really uh, come down and, and cracking this movie open because I, I kind of was coming at it from a lot of angles at first but I, I do want to think about authenticity in the gaze of the world right and that's probably what the class is called with some something to the you know we've been doing a lot of media literacy classes lately uh here on the show and I feel like that kind of stuff is important I want to keep doing it uh, so we're going to be looking at different stories uh that are examining people trying to lead authentic lives, but also trying to figure out what that even means, what what is even feasible in the world. Um, I, I also want to, because we're going to be talking about the gays, uh, I, I found a, a pretty pretty good uh, YouTube essay um, from an account called Broey Deschanel, which is a great, great account name, good channel name, 
We love it. Love to see it. Uh, but it was a really solid video essay about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, pulled some Foucault in. Uh, pulled some, you know, uh, stuff from the actors and the director. Really, really solid and definitely kind of helped me organize some of my thoughts a little bit on this. Uh, I want to start with uh, Penelope Spheris's Wayne's World uh, and also her uh, End of Western Civilization series. Uh, because I think, I, I think we talked about those films in conjunction with each other when we talked about Wayne's World. Uh, but there is something so interesting uh, about <laughs> about this director who makes these the series of documentaries about people uh, living, uh, let's just say, a rock and roll lifestyle and, and the different conceptions of that, right? So part one, for those of you not in the know, uh, is dealing more with kind of uh, uh, what, Dustin, is, is it New York punks in part one? Uh, in part one, it is, no, they're LA punks. Uh, it is, it's it is LA punks. In yeah. Part the germs okay, mostly the with a, a bit okay. of black flag. Yeah. That's right. And I think X shows up a little bit. Uh, yeah, I was mostly thinking some, that, yeah. uh, I really do want to think about part two and part three though, in conjunction with each other. Cause part two is the hair metal scene. And part three is about crust punks. You know, these, these kids who have basically opted into homelessness in Los Angeles, not always opted into in some cases. Right. And, you know, you're talking about a population that's dealt with a lot of uh, abuse in some cases, fleeing, not great home situations. But then I, I think looking at this trilogy of documentaries about people who are, uh, trying to find their their true selves through the music scene uh, and then Wayne's world uh, this uh, story that is all about trying to remain authentic even when you start receiving corporate sponsorship and the more eyes that get thrown upon you the harder it is to uh, not make yourself a commodity the harder it is to not play to the to the back of the house right and, and I think uh, whether I'm gonna go ahead and assume deliberately uh, Penelope Spheres definitely seems to have some thoughts on this, or at the very least is interested in people who are wrestling with these questions. Uh, so I think there's a lot to be gleaned from those four films. Uh, also a little bit of a cheat because uh, uh, look, it's still time for me to get caught up on 2020 movies. Everything's delayed because of COVID. So I'm giving myself to the end of February uh, to wrap up my top 10 list watching. Uh, and I, I caught up with Regina King's One Night in Miami, which is so good. So, so good. So uh, I am folding in my my personal watching into this syllabus. But I think it, I think it works here because so much of that film is um, Malcolm X talking to Sam Cooke, uh, then Cassius Clay, soon to be Muhammad Ali uh, and, and Jim Brown about their role in the world as public figures, uh, the role in the world as black men and what that means in the moment of, you know, 1964 uh, when Muhammad Ali uh, is just uh, taking the, the belt from Sonny Liston. Um, again, not not a real uh, evening that happened as far as we know, based on a play, kind of imagining uh, th this uh, conversation, uh, this hangout that could have been, uh, and, and a really wonderful film that I think, much like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, is so much about, uh, you know, minority identity within the world or oppressed identity within the world uh, and, and how that necessarily starts to in, inform how the world views people and how those people being viewed by the world feel about themselves uh, and how it complicates our, our own abilities or can complicate a person's ability to um, find a way that it is authentic that also allows them to stay safe, uh, which I think is really interesting. And, and again, I think in conjunction with this film is, is going to be 
something to look at. I think we might even go ahead and take a look at The Passion of Joan of Arc from last week. I think we might go ahead and bring it back to the table because it is so fundamentally a film about being authentic to yourself and saying, no, this is what I'm about and I don't care if everybody says that I'm wrong uh, and is also so clearly about the uh, the role of women, uh, especially in, in Western civilization uh, and the ways in which uh, not just French, but uh, the ways in which all uh, patriarchally leaning societies uh, tend to uh, commodify uh, and objectify women and uh, dictate the terms of their lives. Um, so that's the class. I think there's some work to be done. Probably a lot more movies we could honestly get on there. Uh, I think the last one I want to look at, uh, and I don't know if this movie's good because I haven't seen it in probably 10, 15 years at this point, uh, but The Shape of Things uh, with um, Rachel Weiss and Paul Rudd, uh, a film that I don't want to spoil, but another film based on a play um, that is all about uh, the ways in which we make people, the ways in which uh, love and romance uh, can leave an indelible mark on people and the ways in which, uh, you know, um, if you are an if somebody is an artist, how that identity can influence a relationship uh, and how, uh, how subject and object can become very tenuous uh, definitions, I guess. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Again, I don't want to spoil too much of that film because uh, it's yeah, it goes some interesting places. Uh, but I think it has a, a lot that will pair interestingly with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. I like all that very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say, Arthur Gordon? How would you expand the syllabus using a Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Yeah, I think that uh, I would look at the, uh, I, I've called this the visual through line to Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I think this would be something of a probably some intertextuality type stuff in, in a certain regard, as well as talking about uh, gays uh, stuff as well. Uh, and so I would start with The Passion of Joan of Arc. I, I think uh, from a cinematography standpoint, as well as uh, that performance from Falconetti, I, I think what is happening here, especially with a lot of use of the close-up uh, uh, in this film and uh, the, the pure facial performance and body performance from uh, both Merlant and Hanel, uh, I think really lends itself to that, that comparison and kind of going back to starting in, you know, 90 years ago with the passion of Joan of Arc uh, to now with uh, portrait of a lady on fire. I, I think they just pair well also thematically uh, in, in some interesting ways. Um, so that would be where I would start this course. Then I would go into Laura Mulvey, uh, the visual narrative and the uh, visual pleasure and narrative cinema uh, and I'd also talk about Susan Bowers, Medusa, and the female gaze, a couple of writings here, um, and the idea in Susan Bowers' work uh, uh, about uh, explaining the woman who sees that she is being seen by the male gaze, uh, then de deconstructs and rejects her own objectification uh, in the Medusa myth. Uh, so I think, you know, kind of starting there to lay some foundation would be interesting. Uh, my first film is going to be Howard Hawks, uh, To Have and Have Not, which is cited in uh, visual ple pleasure in the narrative cinema, uh, jumbling the words well today. Uh, but the uh, the Bogart McCall movie that kickstarted their uh, pairing and relationship, I, I think you know also setting up the idea of how the way the film is shot, plus the way the protagonist sees uh, the female lead, and that kind of diegesis of the way the audience then objectifies. Uh, the female uh, is is an interesting point to start place to start. Uh, then I want to go to Rebecca, uh, and this is almost more of a thematic piece, I think. Uh, but that that relationship and dichotomy between 
both Mrs. Danvers and both uh, Mrs. DeWinters uh, is an interesting uh, just a relationship in general and, and the the kind of setting of that I think pairs well with Portrait of a Lady on Fire uh, and kind of at two different you know there's the idea of you know if these characters had stayed together and become bitter because they couldn't be you know themselves uh, it's kind of an odd Elseworlds type event uh, I think Rebecca could kind of figure in there to talk about some of that uh, and then Vertigo I, I think there are a couple of moments in Portrait of a Lady on Fire that really evoke uh, some of the visual cues of Vertigo, especially when uh, Eloise appears in that white dress. Um, I, I thought strikingly of, of Vertigo and also the green dress, I think. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some interesting connections there, I think, uh, that I'd want to break down and look at. And, and then from more of a cinematography standpoint and, and that kind of artistry, like actual artistry, not not like the tourism or anything, but uh, Barry Lyndon. Uh, as one I think I'd put on here just to kind of look at those very static shots of, of, you know, very painting like portrait, like shots in Barry Lyndon. Uh, just, so that's kind of an aside, but I think it'd fit in, uh, be an interesting uh, thing to look at next to this from a cinematography standpoint. Uh, from there, I would go into point break and how this kind of subjects, uh, the, uh, subverts the male gaze uh, and kind of looks at that for more of a homoerotic uh, standpoint uh, and then finally on a lean on uh, i think birds of prey by kathy on uh, and, and bring it back to a more modern piece uh, but also a director who is rejecting the male gaze and utilizing more of a non-gendered gaze or, or a female gaze uh, to tell this story uh, kind of remove that overly hypersexed uh, superhero thing that we see so often uh, you know in comparison to say iron man 2 with scarlett johansson and the things Joss Whedon does there. Uh, oh, that's Fav- Favreau. Although uh, obviously we can throw Whedon under the bus for plenty of stuff. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's a big bus. There's lots of room for everybody. Yeah. So, anyway, that's where I'd go with it. Excellent, excellent. I like that all very, very much. Thank you, Mr. Arthur Gordon. So what I was thinking about doing with this as a class is I saw a tweet in observation to this movie uh, is that when you put two women on an island, you get Portrait of a Lady. When you put two men alone on an island, you get The Lighthouse. And (laughs) That's a a good tweet. (laughs) And I was thinking about that observation uh, a bit, and I was like, let's think about islands and gender. And uh, the relations of them to society. And so, of course, that means my first two picks are Portrait of a Lady, in which uh, we have these two women basically by themselves alone on this island as a romance uh, develops. And uh, all the interesting issues that I'm sure we'll discuss as we get down into business time. And then moving from that into uh, Eggers is the Lighthouse, uh, uh, which I think is a, a fascinating sort of take on Moby Dick and toxic masculinity and... Uh, just a number of interesting issues. And uh, th- th- there's a weird, again, uh, homoeroticism to this. You know, there's a way in which solitariness and, 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 the, and, the, and the men together by themselves, uh, how uh, they find themselves be uh, not quite where they might have expected to have found themselves in, let's say, the Kinsey spectrum uh, in cinema. I'm looking at You Broke Back Mountain, which I think would use uh, clips because um, obviously uh, Wyoming is not an island. Although, is it? 
Is well, it? that that's the question, isn't it? Uh, I think it might be. I have questions about Wyoming, but that nonetheless, uh, I, I would not use that film per se in its entirety. But I do think it would be an interesting movie to think about uh, in context there. Uh, then, of course, the uh, the classic Lord of the Flies. Um, I, I think uh, this group of boys on an island uh, forming uh, their own sort of semi-government uh, without uh, any adult supervision and just how that goes tragically wrong. Uh, there are no good movies about women on an island. Uh, I think there actually is one that's either coming out or came out last year. Was it good? Because a lot of I, them are just about exploitation and objectifying women and putting <clears throat> bikinis no, in the suits and making them Yeah, I don't think movies. it's that... I don't think it's that kind of thing. I'll I'll do more uh, research uh, as you continue to talk, but I okay. feel like I remember reading about something people liked. Well, uh, maybe there is a thing out there, but I'm not aware of it at this point. So I'll, I I want to go Lord of the Flies, but I don't really have a counterpoint there with it. I did also want to think about uh, a man alone on an island uh, because we have a lot of that in cinema. We don't have a whole lot of women, woman, a single woman uh, by herself on an island. Uh, and again. Maybe there's a gap in my knowledge here, but Tom Hanks and Castaway, I think, is an interesting interplay there. Uh, and then uh, finally, uh, to get a man and a woman alone on an island, uh, Ingmar Bergman's uh, The Hour of the Wolf uh, would be the film that I would use there, uh, and w- which ends in murder, um, shocking maybe nobody. Uh, but also, it's a weirdly, it's a fairy tale in some ways, and it's a very surrealistic kind of gothic uh, storytelling method. It's a little bit of a break of style. I mean, you can see some anticipations of the uh, the quasi-queer romance readings of uh, Persona uh, that we get later on in uh, Bergman's career. It anticipates some of that, but it's doing something slightly different. Uh, and Ullman's performance, as always, is lightning. Uh, so I would use that as my sort of base to just thinking about isolation and society. And so it's probably part of a broader sociological study of cinema uh, using, and I think what I would do for the class in general is I would use the cinematic trope to sort of govern various ways in which it's been deployed. Right. And so you might say, I want to use a natural disaster. Okay. So here's several different natural disaster films that are making slightly different claims, you know, about say gender or race or politics or whatever. And in this particular module, I would say, here are these island isolation films and how they relate specifically to questions of gender and then take them down piece by piece. And so thinking about Tom Hanks and, you know, pining away for uh, Helen Hunt and Castaway, thinking about Portrait of a Lady on Fire and these two women by themselves and how uh, they're not allowed to be themselves off the island. It becomes a place of authenticity as opposed to a place of hiding and uh, wearing of masks and what have you. Uh, then looking at the lighthouse, Hour of the Wolf, and then uh, Lore of the Flies uh, would be the way in which I would tackle that. So um, that is all I have. Dalton, how goes your search? Did you find what you were looking no, for? No, I unfortunately did not. I am unfortunately just finding the uh, more stories about the uh, all-female remake of Lore of the Flies, not the story about uh gals stranded together i I, want to say it's girls i feel like it's it's school children uh this is like a movie from the last two years it's either like it's somewhere between 2019 or a forthcoming okay but no unfortunately uh all of my internet searches are are buried under uh the fact that they are doing a all-female lord of the flies that is unfortunately written by some dudes yeah Uh, but and that's gonna be more of a gross kind of women on an island movie and there are lots of you know (laughs) 
Yeah, probably. Uh, but surely somebody knows of a good one. Um, yeah. I guess Wonder Woman, but that's not really what you're looking for. Oh, not, the, not not specifically, although the, I think Wonder Woman would be an interesting move to clip in. Were you going to say something, Arthur? As, is it the Wilds? I think it. that sounds right, actually. Yeah. Oh, you know, maybe I've heard of the Wilds. Uh, the Wilds follows a group of teen girls from different backgrounds who must fight for survival after a plane crash strands them on a deserted island. Oh, and it's a TV show. That's okay. Yes, that is exactly well, that what like I was thinking. Of, with girls too. I mean, it's almost yeah. exactly the plot, right? Yeah, huh? this is the thing I was thinking of. Thank you very much, Arthur. So yeah, the Wilds. Uh, it looks like it's a Prime show. Uh, I don't know. Could be good. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, at, at, the, at this point, if because of its freshness, I would probably use it, um, despite the fact it might end up being problematic or not. But, you know, there you Only go. Only one way to find out. That's why we put stuff in our eyeballs. That's right. That's right. Well, there you go, dear listener. Uh, your syllabus just got extraordinarily longer, and uh, we managed to even lengthen our syllabi as time went on. So uh, you're welcome, question mark. But I do believe now it is time to get down to business. And that's right, that business is, as always, analysis. There are so many things uh, and so many ways that we can approach this, but I thought we'd just begin by this movie as a gay film, as a lesbian picture. And I Mm. wanted to begin with that with a quote from Siyama herself, um, if I may, uh, about just its gayness or lack thereof and whatnot. So... Uh, again, so the question that she's being asked in the interview, and I'm not sure what the interview's from, uh, I think it's from an American outlet, uh, but she doesn't really acknowledge the film as lesbian. So she's asked, being asked, do you find it offensive that they don't acknowledge as what it is, a lesbian romance, or do you experience a pushback in the language used around the film? So uh, just around the word, the term lesbian itself to describe the film, this is Skiama's, or Siyama's, uh, response. I'm realizing with this film how the word quote-unquote lesbian is never used and the effect of it being used on art. Even when I, during promotion, would say lesbians, sometimes the article they would change the word. So what's behind this word? I don't find it a scary word, but what's behind the word? Behind the word is a project, and I think there's something more dangerous uh, in that word. We know because Monique uh, Whitting said that lesbians are not totally women because they are escaping a part of the patriarchy, at least domestically or romantically. And this is very, very subversive. And it's also why fiction has been really harsh on lesbian characters, because they are seen as dangerous characters. I'm not offended by the fact that people don't use the word, but I'm just noticing it and I'm analyzing it. It's quite interesting. It's a word I definitely use all the time. I don't use queer. This movie is definitely a lesbian imaginary, and it's an imaginary that's really inclusive. It's not narrow. It's powerful. We wouldn't fear the word if it wasn't powerful. So that's the context of like some of the press around the film uh, avoiding the word uh, lesbian uh, to describe it. And that uh, lesbianism itself is a rejection of patriarchy, and that is why it is powerful. Um, and I, I think that is uh, some of the strength of this movie, uh, is that it's, you know, and I want to use the word queerness, uh, but um, I understand where she's coming from in, you know, wanting to totally. be specific, you know, there. But I, I think it's easy for, uh, Justin, sorry to jump in, but I, I do think, I think it's easy to, uh, you know... I, I can imagine a writer wanting to use language that's more inclusive and just say queer, but there, yeah, there is an interesting, as Siam points out, there is an interesting thing to unpack there that happens when you 
you choose to decouple gender from from the queerness of the film, right? Because then it stops acknowledging that it is so so fundamentally a film about uh, women about trying to uh, live under patriarchal patriarchal societies. Yeah, I mean that's I, I, I. But again, I can see why somebody would go there and go, well, I want to decouple that, but uh, and try to be more inclusive. But you know, just because you're specifying lesbian doesn't mean that uh, you're you're doing an uninclusive act. You might be even doing something, uh, you know, more radical uh, by uh, you know naming the femininity of it, right? Right. Or I guess not, femininity is probably not necessarily the the right word to use here, but you get what I'm, I'm uh, grasping at. I think it's a thoroughly uh, feminine film uh, in that way, sure. though, because, I mean, the absence of men. Uh, there is another reference uh, of a moment where, you know, we don't see a dude at all in this movie, uh, you know, as a— uh, oh, wh- when he shows back up, the boat guy, when he shows back man. up at the end, it's so jarring. It's, right. it's like, whoa, it, it really does throw you back for a second. Well, Absolutely. And, and Siyama calls that moment her jump scare of the patriarchy in the film. <laughs> Which I think is She's funny. I, I'm in love with her is what I want to say is part of it is that, that she is she is fascinating mind to me right now. Uh, and and because of that, because it is a, mo- a movie that is quite intentionally pulling all that stuff out. Right. And and so I want to think a little bit, though, about the choice of, you know, an island for this lesbian romance. You know, and what 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 do we reckon of, you know, the sort of forbiddenness and the uh, the impossibility of this romance, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, uh, with, uh, you know, and I'm thinking about Eurydice and Orpheus as part of the metaphor there. There's a whole lot going on uh, with the movie, but it is is the is relationships impossibility? Is it a resignation to uh, the love that the world does not allow, or is it a, a political statement, uh, uh, sort of demanding its own freedom? How do we read the film? What's it doing there? I think the latter. I think there is a certain amount of uh, d- demanding of freedom, right? You know, we end the the film on this portrait of Eloise uh, with her daughter uh, and the book page to turn, turn to page 28, right? Like if right. you're going to immortalize me in this life that I've been foisted into uh, or has been foisted upon me, you know, you're not going to get me to not at least hide, uh, you know, in plain sight what I'm about. Uh, and I think that's really, really beautiful. There's a moment where Eloise says to Marianne, you know, equality is a pleasant feeling, right? This idea that in this space removed from the world as it functions, uh, typically, there there is an ability to to get past you know n- not just um, the different versions of themselves they have to be when men are present, but also these class divisions that exist between them, right? Between because uh, we, we have really three women of three class standings that we spend the most time with, right? Uh, two of them, of course, lovers, and then of the, the their their bud, Sophie, who is you know kind of lowest on the totem pole as a domestic worker. Uh, and, and then, you know, Marianne is working in a skilled trade, right? She's pre- presumably making great money traveling around doing portrait art of people. Uh, and then, of course, the person who theoretically has the most power as, uh, you know, the, the well, I don't know, rich person. I don't know. There's probably some specific way in which she's rich in France at, at this point in history. Well, she's uh, the countess's daughter. Yeah, she's a countess. Oh, yeah. That's right. Countess. See, there you go. Exactly. It, it is even further beyond that. And yet, French nobility, maybe she doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. She, even in this this position of nobility, there might even be uh, less power than anybody else has at, 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 very, at the very least as pertains to freedom of choice. Right. Um, so despite her economic, uh, you know, 
chances, not even chances, just certainties, uh, she has less power, uh, Eloise does, than, than these other women. And there is this ability once we can go on this island, get rid of the rules that uh, have been applied uh, for them, there is an equality uh, that exists. And, and yet there is still a struggle to remove themselves from that culture, right? Because there's that moment where you know, they, they have this fight, uh, you know, whether we're talking, uh, I try to remember exactly what the catalyst for this uh, scene is. Uh, but there's a, there's that moment where she kind of re- reads Mary in the riot act about like, Hey man, like you, I let you possess me a little bit and you immediately are trying to uh, tell me who I am or what I'm supposed to do. Uh, and again, I wish I had, I had gotten the whole quote written down verbatim. So I am definitely paraphrasing here, but, but there is a, a wrestling and a reckoning with this idea of getting over each other's preconceived notions about what is possible within a relationship. Um, you know, even if they are both trying to deal with the fact that they, they both know that this is not a for this, this is a thing that cannot be sustained, unfortunately. Yeah. That's in that almost, uh, the kind of climactic fight they have when, uh, mm-hmm. she's about to, uh, present the portrait, the, I think her mom's what arriving back the next day. And so there's that kind of jealousy uh, playing out that uh, Marianne knows she can't keep or, or, or you know, stay with uh, Louise uh, in that moment. It's a good, uh, it's a good scene. It's a good sequence in, in a film that has a lot of underlying tension for that to kind of boil over in those moments and those, those cracks to appear in the relationship in a very painful way, I, you know, works, uh, very well. Well, I want to think about that penultimate moment in the movie then, you know, in regards to that reading. Because I, I tend to agree that it's sort of like, you know, saying that it shouldn't be this way. And this is, you know, kind of the, the, the tragedy of it and those kind of things. Um, but I was thinking about her reading of the uh, story of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice is, mm. and the suggestion mm. that Orpheus looks back because he'd rather remember, you know, her in a, in a particular kind of way. And yeah, that the action last... of the, the poet, not the lover, right? Yeah. The person who wants to talk about being in love, not actually wants to be in love. Right. And uh, Marianne's choice to look back and see Eloise in her wedding dress, and then for her to fade away, the camera, the way the camera works that, you know, before we flash forward years later. Um, that she's making a choice of creating a memory. And there's later on, or earlier in the film, there's a there's a moment, it's just a little line, where... Um, She's asked if she was dreamed about her and said, no, I didn't dream. I remembered um, because I love you on purpose is I think the intention there, but I yeah. think memory. I was, is, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't uh, remembered. I think it's, I, think I about thought you. about you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought, no, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I thought about I thought, but there's yeah. still an intentionality there. Exactly. Either. Exactly. Yeah. Which yeah. is to Dustin's point. Yeah, exactly. What's going on. Right. Exactly. The intentionality. Right. Sorry. Thank you for helping me get through that muddled line there. Um, no, you're good. We knew what you meant. I didn't necessarily need to correct you, but uh, the movie's so well written. I kind of, I don't know how good the translation we have is, but I, you know, I want to hew to it close when we can. For sure. Um, but this idea of, uh, you know, that that is the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The rebellious act mm-hmm. is the choice of memory of the choice of resisting in one's mind and that that itself is an act of subversion, even though it's the 18th century, it's France, patriarchy is real, but we've got that memory and that's what ends up evincing itself or rupturing, erupting itself out in the form of marking page 28 in the book, in the portrait with her daughter. Right. I can't remember which one of it, uh, the two of them, and it might even, it's not Sophie, it's definitely one of the two of them, but when they're reading uh, about Orpheus and Eurydice, one of them brings up the idea that maybe Eurydice uh, 
ask to be looked back at, right? Or something to that effect. Like maybe, maybe there was a choice to go, you know what? No, this is fine. Uh, which it does, of course, come back around in that, that final moment, as you said, right? There is a choice by Eloise to do what la- little thing she can, which is to be there for Marianne for like that final moment for of a final goodbye that is, you know, profound and powerful. Although we never get confirmation that that's a real moment as opposed to, you know, these imagined moments, you know, right. we get confirmation earlier in the film that these glimpses are definitely imagined. Yeah. Uh, we never get confirmation on this final one, but you know, I like to think that it's real. I like to think that Eloise had a quick costume change and ran downstairs. Well, she was already in the white dress, right? I thought oh, so. Oh, shoot. Because she was right. her wedding dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. So. Yeah, I tend to think that's more real. I mean, I, I wonder about yeah. the realness, and I guess we can move on to a, just a, a discussion of reality of certain images. The actual titular lady on fire moment of the film. Yeah. Is that real or imagined? Mm, no, I think that's and definitely real. Why, that's, yeah, and why not? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, and the why there, I think, I think maybe one of my favorite like moments in the film, right? Obviously, that's this, this, it's the poster, it's the painting that opens the film. It is the moment of the movie because, of course, we you know do this really, really great cross cut from Marianne helping Eloise up to them helping one another get down these cliffs so they can, uh, you know, have, have abscond to the cave uh, for a wonderful evening or a wonderful afternoon. Uh, right. This moment where they, um, so where I keep looking for here, uh, consummate the relationship. There we go with, with a, a profound and just really wonderfully shot kiss. Uh, but like it, it is directly put against and juxtaposed with the catching on fire. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like one scene after the other in this really incredible, cross cut of hands and Arthur already talked about some of the great like physicality going on in these performances. Uh, and I think this very like concerted focused and tender way in which they're like helping each other climb down this cliff face is totally just, it rules. It's so good. It, it is so like incredibly shot. Like you don't think about close ups on hands and arms and bodies that much uh, in film. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is just kind of a, a great moment that again is, is juxtaposed to that, a moment where Marianne helps Eloise up off the ground after the, the fire has been put out. Uh, and I think maybe the, the dreaminess of that sequence does come from this, this sick hangout. That's just a bunch of gals hanging out uh, without having to worry about some dudes being there. Uh, and look, dudes, it's cool to hang out with ladies. I get it. But if they want to go watch a movie by themselves and the movie theater is going to let them do that, don't fucking throw an internet hissy fit about it, I guess is what I'm saying. And I don't know why I brought that up, but uh, you know, it's or... been several years since we had one of those. If they want to go sing vocal choral music by a campfire, let them. Yeah. No matter how haunting it may be. It may be very haunting <laughs> to you. Hey, fellas, it's supposed to be haunting to us. It's women reminding us that they, uh, you know, can, you know, throw magic at us or whatever. I think <laughs> that's what the witch is about. I think that that moment of her literally catching on fire is such a, it's, it's kind of a fun, I think, fun bit in a, in a way, kind of tongue in cheek, because the film does such a great job of, building to that moment where they do consummate the marriage or relationship. Right. And that kind of rising tension of will they, won't they, will they, won't they, will they, won't they. And there's always these moments where they kind of get close and then they're pulled away for whatever reason, either they're interrupted or they stop themselves. And and that moment where she literally catches on fire, you know, to kind of evoke that visual uh, moment of passion overflowing that's about to follow. I, I think it's just a really, it feels kind of like a fun nod, uh, a little tongue in cheek, I think, in the moment. Uh, 
in the way that plays out and, and where it's set in the rhythm of this film. Well, and since we've gotten to the titular port- portrait, I do want to give some high fives to, uh, I think it's Nomi Merlant, uh, who uh, worked, uh, did, or, I'm sorry, no, Nomi Merlant plays uh, Marianne. It's uh, Helen Delmer. Uh, yeah. is the painter behind all of these really incredible yeah. paintings we see. And uh, Merlant worked with Delmer like to like, look at the way Helen, uh, you know, looked um, at our lead actress to create this. And again, they're both our leads, right? That's one of the, the other great things about this film, that line equality is very pleasant. There is an equality of protagonists here because it is very much a story about both of these people. Um, but I, I just found it interesting that uh, the actual painter behind these pa- portraits, you know, worked with Merlant to kind of like figure out who this painter was and, and allow the, the real art that was made within the, the artwork that is this film to allow that to inform the performance. That's, that's just cool movie stuff. You know, I like that. I love that kind of stuff. For sure. Um, I also just, just want to so do a little name dropping. Yeah. And I want to do a little shout outing as well, or shouting out or however you say those words, apparently shout outing, shouting out. I'm sure it is surgeons general. Um, is how you ought to be saying that. But uh, I want to just mention some of the uh, paintings that are sort of in Tableau reference there. And this is off of a bit of Tumblr uh, speak here. So let me pull it up real quick and make sure that I give credit where credit is due to the original Tumblina that brought this about. Oh, that's right. Art Deco Dyke. Um, we love you. And uh, thank you very much for uh, tumbling this. But uh, there's several moments in the film and they recreate the imagery of uh, the lovers by Renee Magritte. That's the moving of the scarves and the kissing with the scarves on, uh, which, uh, by the way, I saw a quote from Siama about that scene. It was about how to make consent sexy was the goal there with the pulling down the scarves for that first. Hey, kiss. Uh, hey, Siama, mission accomplished, bro. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. But see, it is, yeah, as Arthur said, like that, as it is a culmination of all these touches and gazes and almost, it is a truly profound moment of like on screen, like eroticism without, uh, while still being very modest uh, in a way that I think is great. I, I don't know. I like the way that this film does the physicality of love, right? Like it's very modest until uh, there's nudity without little remark made upon it. I think it's a, uh, it's very fascinating and, and, and interesting way to, to, portray the physicality of love uh, sorry dustin uh, continue no, telling us about the good paintings so uh here it is uh i guess i'm just going to go through the list of the names of the paintings and painters and uh you can google them later since this obviously is an auditory not a visual meeting uh, uh visual medium here so i just mentioned renee magritte's the lovers uh also simeon solomon's uh painting sappho and arena at the garden at maltine um i'm sure that will come up if you spell it no matter how you spell it uh henry de toulouse's uh la trek uh, Dance Le Lit is the name of the uh, pa- painting. And then finally, Gustave Courbet's Le Sommier. Um, and those images, you can see the relationship to that. But if you look for Art Deco, or, 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 excuse me, Art Deco Dyke, Art Deco Dyke. Yeah, uh, I can't. I'm All trying. right, you're not allowed to say it again. Otherwise, you're just saying it to get to say it. I'm not saying it to get to say it. I'm just trying <laughs> to get know, it I'm right. Te- I'm teasing you. I just said, yeah, no, you, you've crossed your threshold. You got it right. Okay. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm trying. I assume a very good. To get yeah, you want to give credit where it's due. Credit's due, yeah. And so I'll look for that. It's on my uh, Tumblr. My name's iProtein if you want to find me. But that, I'm not, I'm, this is not a plug for that. My point is, though, just <laughs> the way in which this is really visually informed. And I even thought of another painting, and I want to name this one because uh, I happen to own this collection of uh, poems called The War of the Foxes uh, by uh, Mark Sykin and uh, La Nube Roja by David La Huera is another painting of a guy whose head is on fire. 
in a landscape, much like the landscape, uh, that sort mm. of uh, lonesome uh, My Neighbor Totoro uh, moment with uh, three of them going through the grassy little field there uh, together. Uh, it's reminiscent of that in ways that I find really fascinating as well. And so I just want to name how uh, visually uh, literate this film is. Um, I don't have a thesis yeah. as to an analysis as to why all these pieces work and, and what's being done other than simply like doing the Louis Boonwell just name drop. Hey, this is the Lord's Supper uh, from Da Vinci, the Last Supper from Da Vinci in our movie. Same kind of thing here. Here are these paintings and they seem to be pretty clearly being recreated in the film. And uh, that's just layers upon layers of good filmmaking. Uh, this is worth mentioning. Uh, I think it's also important to note that uh, Tumblr is still a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey, yeah, just because they had the max a- exodus, uh, mass exodus after the uh, no more nudity thing. You know, people are still there. Tumblr's still going, I guess. Yeah, I still play with it. Uh, uh, hey, look, Jamie Loftus just uh, did a whole episode of her Lolita podcast talking about Tumblr cultures. So, uh, look, people are there's scholarly research going on, man. Uh, it's happening. I, I just, you know. Uh, like I said, I didn't have a need to leave because it was not, you know, I wasn't. Anyway, the point is, Tumblr's fine. Hey, I want to read this uh, Foucault quote uh, that I, I, I come, came across in my research. Uh, in that, say uh, big shot. No, 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 it wasn't me. It was that uh, What Portrait of a Lady on Fire Tells Us About the Gays uh, video essay I told you about from Broly Deschanel. They're the big shot. Uh, you know me. I, I'm, I'm bringing this up because Dustin's read Foucault and can maybe uh, – uh, wrestle with this a little bit, but this is comes from the order of things. He's talking about a painting here, but I think we could just really probably apply this to he's let me rephrase that. He's talking about a specific painting, but I think we can do a lot with arts in general and, and this, this quote, but here we go. Uh, the painter's gaze addressed to the void confronting him outside the picture accepts as many models as there are spectators in this precise, but neutral place, the observer and the observed take part in a ceaseless exchange. No gaze is stable, or rather, in the neutral furrow of the gaze, piercing at a right angle through the canvas, subject and object, the spectator and the model, reverse their roles to infinity. Uh, which, you know, is what this movie's about, right? Uh, in more simple terms, at least what I got out of that, it, it is talking about a little bit of that, uh, the cinema genie, uh, the photogenique. I know what it's actually called, but saying it, the cinema genie is more fun for me. Uh, is sort of related to this idea, right? The observing the observed uh, and the observing of that observation, right? Where there's so many different, uh, there's subject, there's author, there's viewer. uh, There, there is so much push and pull uh, going on in the production of an image uh, in the viewing of an image that there is kind of no definable place, right? I I, I know we're getting kind of hippy dippy with the art philosophy right now. So that's why I wanted to throw that out. Maybe we can together, Come, come with, come to something a little bit more concrete. I guess you're going to make me do it then, because I mean, there is a moment in the film that absolutely visualizes conceptually what you're talking about there, and that is when the, is the, it the uh, is it the mirror scene, the yeah. mirror covering the vagina? Yeah, I mean that's well, yeah, it's the the uh, <laughs> sketch exactly on page that. 28, the sketch on page 28. Correct. Yeah. Uh, it is exactly that, and it is really getting at both in terms of making art, being in love, the ways in which we. We are seen by the people around us, uh, inform the way we see ourselves and, and, and vice versa, ad infinitum. Right. Um, and again, I think when Eloise talks about you, the control being exerted by Marianne briefly, you know, this idea that just because I've given you myself to you does not mean that you get to, uh, you know, 
continue to try and take and take. Um, it is interesting the way that is reflective of her relationship with her mother, right? And the the very complicated uh, relationship that that is. You know, we don't get a lot of it, but we get exactly as much as we need to to know that it's probably not the best relationship in the world. Well, I think to use Foucaultian uh, terms is good here because, you know, the the dialectics of power are what he's most interested in. And so I think that's an appropriate deployment of Foucault there in that use of that reflective image. But I wonder about Lacan because I always wonder about Lacan here too and about the mirror stage itself and the way in which it's identification of an other and of the self and of the self in the other and the other in the self and that sort of uh, infinite regression of images as well. And so uh, it is, I mean, to an extent, you know, Marianne is painting herself using the body of Helene, but her, you know, there, there are ways in which all of that's happening as well with, you know, the sexual um, organs themselves being well, covered in the Do you want to zoom out one even further uh, and talk about the fact that uh, Siama and Hanel uh, were lovers uh, prior to this film being made? No. Um, oh my yeah, God, they I did not know they, that. That's they wild. split. They split amicably prior to the production, uh, but yeah, they they were together for for some time, uh, and yeah, that that layer added on to the onion that is this this film. It just makes your brain hurt a little bit when you start to think about <laughs> uh, all of the different things taking place, uh, both thematically and literally. Like things that literally are happening in the production of this film that are echoes of what the film is about, and this really kind of. Uh, Ouroboros that is uh, the creation of one piece of uh, one piece of art. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I got to say this at this point in our analysis, and we may be close to done. I don't know. We'll see here in a second. But what I'm very glad of is how we are bringing a collection of observations without making a whole lot of argumentation of our own, because I do feel like I'm unqualified to write the essay or to make the analysis of this film. But dear listener, if you are hearing what we're saying about this movie uh, please take these observations and run with them and come back to us and let us know where you got. Uh, because that's where I, I, I stand on a lot of this, right? Is that I think that Foucaultian uh, observation is perfect. I think Lacan is interesting here. I think those tableaus are great. I think the, the thoughts about, you know, surrounding the, the politics of this movie and the patriarchy and all that kind of stuff is, is interesting. And there's a lot going on here in this movie. But I also just, uh, you know, I should have disclaimed, I guess, this way at the front of our analysis. I'm unqualified to talk about any of it. Well, know? and I think the film does a very good job of speaking for itself. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and helps us along. Because I was worried about going into this. I was like, all right, the three of us are going to sit down and, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily straight, uh, but, you know, we're still a bunch of dipshits, uh, a couple of boys talking about this movie about women in love. And I, I felt very happy that the film, you know, <laughs> is so damn good in its uh, in that <clears throat> it, it speaks for itself very well. And you don't really need to make an argument. Uh, we are just kind of making observations because I feel like, the strengths of this film largely not you know only but do lie in uh, its ability to weave theme very seamlessly into that what's which is actually happening right like the story and theme are just like so intimately tied together it, it really doesn't you know it makes it easy to talk about truly yeah. um I, I did uh, find a i had a quote written down or not a quote just something i, I learned but adele hanel talking about playing eloise as somebody who goes from uh, object to subject over mm-hmm. the course of the movie and uh, i just find that very interesting which again obviously as a uh, you know being directed by her her former lover like that's a whole other 
fucking stack on top of that, right? Like, uh, and I think that probably has a lot to do with the incredible performance we get, right? This is somebody who is a very talented actor and is doing their best to hold all of these kind of uh, opposing ideas together and, and thread them into you know, one very, very nuanced performance. Well, I think Siyama's contribution and direction. I mean, I'm just thinking about the sex scenes themselves. They're not, they're not lurid. They're not objectifying. No, the, I mean, the most like sexually graphic image we get is them, uh, you know, putting their mushroom paste or whatever in their armpits, right? Like they're, that's definitely a very uh, deliberately evocative image uh, that we get. Um, But yeah, I mean, the, the ways in which this film chooses to be sexy or sensual, uh, are restrained and specific while still being very sexy. Right. Uh, I think it's interesting. And, you know, look, we, we got to talking about how hot this movie is without being gross about it. I'm pretty proud of us, if I'm uh, being honest. Uh, I did very much laugh uh, during the the, <laughs> the moment where uh, uh, Hanel's extremely green, green-blue eyes are just giant pupils. <laughs> Had myself yeah. a good laugh about that scene. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's, it's, it's a cute moment. This <laughs> movie's got. I think we've undersold how funny this movie is, by the way. So I do just want to yeah. get while we're talking about them tripping together. This movie's hilarious. I think that's what you know from just a spectator standpoint. I think that's what I appreciate about this because I expected it to be much more tragic in the kind of classical sense of tragedy, rather than. Uh, I think there's a lot of hope and and and. Mm some strength in the especially in the finale um and so i you know it's obviously a tragic love story between these two but i think the film tonally makes it a a more palatable tale and it is infused with a lot of good humor i mean there's uh and there's a lot of fun moments like when uh the the three of them are just sitting around playing cards right mm-hmm. like that's just a lot of fun or when they go to the campfire and they're singing and you know that's those are some really cool moments that are very uplifting in this and, and just I, I like that Dustin talked about the island early on I, I like the idea of you know obviously it starts out it's is this kind of you know symbol of exile right in a lot of ways but I like that it starts as this kind of you know in that rainy journey across the the water to it uh it starts out as this very imposing prison-like structure but but after you know the mother leaves it, it almost becomes this kind of oasis for them in, in a lot of ways and, and they kind of get to bond and mm-hmm. it becomes this place of, of growth and freedom and some very interesting ways absolutely and i like how the movie does you know remain a tragedy of love but it's, mm-hmm. it's a tragedy of love because of obligation almost more than it is because of the gender issues at play yeah. here and it does not become the movie because the sad thing is that we are lovers of the love whose name we dare not speak or whatever. You know, that sort of classic yeah. 50s kind of way. You know, well, it. what I'm thinking about is this movie Disobedience. I don't know if you guys saw this one, but the uh, Rachel Weiss, Rachel McAdams uh, film about uh, oh, yeah. these yeah, yeah, yeah. Orthodox Jewish women who are loving yeah. each other. It's good. I mean, it's not bad. And, you know, it's directed by a dude, but I, I think it, I don't know, the sex scene's probably a little bit. I mean, I don't. We're not going to get into the politics of that film. I just, it's much more heavy as far as its atmosphere goes, right? It it, it does lean much more into that sort of forbidden love shit, uh, and I think this film, being directed by a, a lesbian, does have the benefit of not wanting to 
wallow around in that. You know, as we you talked about in that quote, Arthur or Dustin, um, that you brought, there's plenty of movies uh, that uh, subject uh, lesbians to tragedy, and this film finds a way to be a tragic love story without, you know belaboring the point or uh you know frankly just being unpleasant right i mean it's sad don't get me wrong boy howdy do, do the waterworks get turned on in this movie but it i don't know it again maybe it is just the joy that is the the time on the island um but it, it never feels like we're being beaten up right it's not a movie that makes you go maybe it is better to have never loved at all than to have loved and lost yeah. i think this definitely is a film that comes down on the side of you take love where you can find it uh, and you try to remember the things that were good, even if it doesn't yeah. pan out. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, yeah, I think that is the sort of uh, uplift of what otherwise is a downer kind of movie. And I think that's part of its, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's excellence. Uh, part of why I, I like the movie so much is that it's tragic yet. There remains some sense of, I'm not gonna say hopefulness, but hmm. uh, sort of uh, dog persistent, you know, uh, perseverance or closure i mean yeah well and i i just i guess maybe and you mentioned we would get here so let's go ahead as well. i can we do definitely feel like we have a train pulling into the station momentum right now so i, I guess i do just want to talk about the, these final moments right because if you hear about the portrait of a lady on fire you assume that there's going to be a big final moment with the portrait and nay Siyama's too cool for that. Uh, she knows what she's doing and, and gives you the portrait, the titular painting right up at the top of the movie, and you never see it again. Yep. Uh, instead, we just close on The Lady on Fire and this beautiful moment of uh, Marianne getting to see this woman she loved intensely, be happy, be alone, be able to experience music and uh i don't know man i thought about this through this show while watching the movie not just because we were watching it for it but there's that moment where marion talks about uh how hard it is to relate music uh and i don't necessarily know that it's easy to relate film i don't know that it's necessarily necessarily easy to relate any art uh that's why people get paid to write and talk about these things uh is because there is a, a certain amount of skill that goes into articulating it but for her to get to see this person she loved, just get to like enjoy this piece of music wholly uh, and fully. And just like, I don't know, it's beautiful. It, I'm sure we've all shown somebody we loved uh, either a film or a record or whatever, and just been more concerned about their reaction to the thing we were showing them than the thing. Um, and I think it is just such a beautiful moment and an incredible way to end the movie. That is such that that's resonates with all of the other themes that have come before this final scene. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I, I think that is, you know, part of what the film itself is, is a gift to show somebody else. Right. And uh, that, that it can be an act of love, the, the giving and receiving of art. Right. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's powerful and it's moving. So, uh, well, thank you very much, friends, as we have, I think, pulled this train in the station. Um, let's go ahead and render a verdict then on the portrait of a lady on fire. Uh, what do you say, guys? Shelf or trash? I'll go to you first, Arthur. Uh, this is definitely a shelvable film. Uh, I I can easily make that assessment. I I think it's one uh, time will be kind to, and so yeah, uh, easily shelving. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Very good, very good. What do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I I think it's pretty obvious that uh, this is a shelfer for all of us. So let's not belabor the belabor the point. It's beautiful. 
Yeah. Uh, the great French uh, lesbian romance of the 21st century is not the Palme d'Or winning Blue is the Warmest Color. It's this movie, guys. It is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is the one. Oh, see. God. I forgot about Blue is the Warmest Color. I don't know how I feel about that movie anymore. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I become, I become cooler and cooler on the warmest color as it turns out, um, the more I think about it. And, uh, I think this is by far the better film, uh, which just goes to show sometimes words are bad. Um, although there is the queer door. I don't know if you're aware of this, but, uh, there's an, there's an additional sort of, uh, pirate award that's given alongside can, um, uh, a handful of, uh, journalists put together the, uh, the queer door. Uh, which is the best gay film that comes out of Cannes that year. And it did win that. Well, so. one, that's gangster and very fun. And two, of course it did. <laughs> of course it did. <laughs> so, uh, well, there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts on this. Hey, Dalton, say the words about the social medias and how they can uh, write the uh, analysis that we couldn't and uh, get it to us. <clears throat> yeah, if you want to write the piece that uh, we're too dumb to write, uh, you can send it uh, to goodtreasuregenrecast at gmail.com. We'll write it, read it on the show uh, unless it's, you know, uh, super long, in which and case we'll, we'll pick some choice. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll pick some choice excerpts. I don't know, ex- excerpts? We'll figure out a rate. You know, if you want to get paid for it, I don't know. I got 20, 40 bucks lying around. I don't know what the going rate for a piece is these days. I Nobody knows. I don't know that freelancers know how much they're supposed to be paid. I certainly don't. But yeah, if you want to write about this movie, good trash genrecast at gmail.com. Uh, tell us all about it. Tell us why we were wrong. Tell us uh, what you liked about what we said. Uh, that's where you want to send the long form feedback. If you want to get a little bit more short form, uh, we're on Twitter at Twitter. Good underscore trash. That's <laughs> twitter.com forward slash good underscore trash. Uh, that's where you can find everything. Good trash genre cast. This is the show that's being put into your ears right at this very moment, but also where you can find things uh, like uh, our friends shows, uh, the praise down with Heath and Alex. They just recorded and released their hundredth episode. Uh, how crazy is that? Yeah, uh, they've kept it going. They, they've often joked about uh, the, how the Praise Down is uh, everybody's favorite at least quarterly show. Uh, <laughs> but they've been, you know what, they, they finally figured out uh, a system for uh, these crazy times and things seem to be going good. Uh, they've been on a real hot streak lately, I feel like. Uh, I know I'm a bit biased, uh, but they finally covered Creed. They had on uh, Stephen Patchen, uh, Oklahoma City comic. That's very funny. Uh, and then unabashed, unironic Creed fan. Uh, and they finally talked about the band they've been putting off talking for uh, 100 episodes. But they also played some listener voicemails that were very sweet. Um, not mine. Mine was stupid. I shouldn't have called it. But everybody else's was sweet. So that's the praise down with Heath and Alex. If you want to check that out, good underscore trash. You will tweet out the links. You can also follow them at the praise down. Uh, and there on their Twitter is a pinned link to their Discord. Uh, so if you want to get really into the uh, Good Trash Expanded Universe, uh, join uh, the Praise Downs Discord server. I'm over there hanging out all the time. Um, lots of folks are there. It's not just me. Uh, but I have a tendency to be hanging around playing games or, or showing movies for everybody. Uh, what else? The Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade, another great podcast that uh, if you follow at Good underscore Trash, you'll make sure we, we'll make sure you get the links to those episodes as they're dropping. Uh, listen as Dan Wade uh, goes with the... Uh, on a journey with a friend into the oeuvre of one Sir Randall Newman. Uh, it's a good show. I really like it. I think it's very sweet. Uh, you can also check out Twilight with Kirsten and Aaron. That's currently in the same feed as this show, but they are creeping up on having their own feed. Good for them, I say. Uh, way to go, ladies. Uh, but uh, that back catalog will remain in our feed because what are we going to do? Take it out? We're not no. idiots. Uh, 
Yeah, that that's Twilight. It's also very, very good and very, very funny. Uh, speaking of gay movies and Kirsten, we watched Fight Club together yesterday for her 30th <laughs> birthday. Uh, that's a movie that I don't like as much as I used to. I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, it's funny. The older I get, and I, when I watch that movie, I just get reminded of the times I was in fights that weren't fun. You know what I mean? Uh, in a way that is surprising to me and unexpected. <laughs> uh, what else? I recently saw a TikTok that said if your favorite film director is David Fincher, you either love or hate toxic masculinity, which I think is accurate. I think it's accurate. Yeah, those are the two kinds of uh, ways to get into his his filmography. No uh, question about that. Uh, GoodTrashMedia.com uh, is really a hub for all the crap we've been talking about. Uh, although I think you're better off to stay on the Twitter if you want to see the uh, the episodes as they're dropping. We're not always doing a, a written post on the uh, website anymore for all the side projects that are going on. But if you want the back catalog, uh, and you know, Dustin alluded to written content, we've got some of that over there. That's GoodTrashMedia.com. Finally, Patreon.com forward slash GTM uh, for bonus content to be sent Blu-rays curated by uh, your hosts uh over here mostly arthur let's be honest but arthur will uh look at a uh a, a survey figure out a blu-ray you might like to have and send it to you he might even uh, i forget what the the uh, tier is but you can help us pick a movie if you give enough money uh it's fun look it helps us keep the lights on we don't need the money you can send it to somebody that really needs it if you know you, you see something in your your sites that needs your love more i don't know, go to donors choose public school teachers always need money whatever uh you can send us money if you feel like though and or if you really want to listen to Dustin uh, and I play Monster of the Week with Arthur as our game master, we're having a good time. We finally uh, took care of the lost episode. We we had to do a weird uh, alternate timeline episode where Dustin and I were both very confused about reliving. Uh, we had a Groundhog's Day episode, would you say, we Dustin? We really did, yeah. It was very much that. It, 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 but we were very bewildered walking through it, it is my, yeah. my entire sensation the entire time playing. Here's what I'll tell you, listener. Uh, if you have the option, uh, don't ever replay a, a moment of a, a campaign with anybody because it does just get very weird for everybody involved. Because <laughs> yeah, no everybody wants to try and uh, hew close to canon, but not, you know, feel married to something that's technically no longer happened. Uh, it's fun, though. It's Monster of the Week. It's a good time. If you like Buffy and X-Files uh, and stuff like that, uh, it's that sort of tabletop game. So we're having a good time over there. Uh, yeah, follow, subscribe. Uh, Stitcher, uh, Apple. Uh, we're not on Spotify, but I think all those other podcasts I mentioned are, uh, if you want to check those out there. Uh, that's it. That's the social media stuff. Arthur, we, we are, we're leaving uh, the wonderful land of France. Uh, we've done a lot of thinking. We, we won't make fun of the French anymore. We love their stinky cheese. We love their long bread. Uh, we love how they blew up fascists. So uh, no more being mean to the French. Uh, what it's time for us to leave though, right? We're not doing any more French movies, are we? Oh, all contraire. Uh, oh, mon frère. No. Oh, I'm so excited. Are we no, going to do uh, schlocky French movies now? No, we're done. Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> well, maybe someday. I had my fill. I've had enough baguettes for one month. Uh, what are we doing? Uh, next week's film, actually, it is adapted from a French novel, though. Uh, mm. which has been brought to the screen a number of times in multiple foreign cinemas. Mm. Um, here are some hints. It was released in 1999. Mm. It uh, kicked off a small franchise. Mm. It won a handful of awards. And it features an all-star cast. I got nothing. It's, it's, well, I thought it was The Man in the Iron Mask until you said a franchise. I was like, all right, they only did one of those. And now I'm also thinking that might have been 98. What are we doing? You actually, you kind of foreshadowed it early on in, in the opening minutes of this episode, uh, because next week, uh, 
you want to talk about uh, uh, saliva stringy kisses, uh, we're going to watch uh, Cruel Intentions. Oh, oh God. My oh, gosh. my God. Yeah, Dangerous <laughs> Liaisons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Speaking of Buffy. Okay. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, this movie was a big one. I don't know about you guys. Uh, you were a little older than I was uh, when this movie came out. But, uh, boy, howdy, did uh, everybody at the middle school have an opinion about Cruel Intentions, uh, as I recall it anyway. Yeah, wild and crazy times. All right, well, there you go, dear listener. Cruel intentions for next week. So we say goodbye to France, and we sort of take a novel with us as we come back to America. <laughs> I guess we'll be talking about the male gaze next week, huh? It might come up. Um, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it will. So Fuck. there you go, dear Uh-oh. listener. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. I'm not Thank you.